Hey everyone, welcome to Navigating Business, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration, or BSBA. My name is Jeff Bautista, and I'm honored to be hosting this podcast for the second time, Navigating Business, where we're going to hear from Asian American and minority business owners who share about their experiences, their backgrounds, their struggles, and their success stories. Today, we're joined by Sheetal Desai, the president of the Southeast chapter of the U.S. PAC, an accomplished attorney and managing partner at the Trusted Lawyers and Desire Law Group. Her specialties include commercial transaction, real estate, corporate law, and commercial litigation. Additionally, she was recently appointed by Governor Kemp to the Judicial Nominating Commission for the state of Georgia. We are honored to have Sheetal join us today. Thank you for that warm welcome. Awesome. So before we get into the meat of all of this, I want to give our audience a chance to understand who you are and get a little bit of who you are personally and professionally. So I'm going to allow yourself to introduce yourself. Sure. So I've been practicing for about 20 years. I went to undergrad at Paul University in Chicago and then continued on to law school at the University of Wisconsin. And this will be year 20 as far as practicing law. Just a little bit other stuff about myself. I'm married, have three daughters and enjoy kind of visiting state parks and just kind of working on my my cookbook when I have a few minutes to spare. Ooh, cookbook. <laughs> Maybe we'll <laughs> jump into that a little later. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, then I guess let's get into some of the good stuff here. So again, thank you for introducing yourself. I'd love to dive into, you know, your your background, at least just to set the framework of your country, you know, like country of origin, kind of that, that demographic background. I was actually born and raised here. My family immigrated from India. Dad has been here since the early 70s. He came here on a medical residency program. And so ever since then, you know, we've been here. I guess I would be first or maybe second generation. I don't know. Kind of like in the middle because I kind of grew up (laughs) with the first generation. But anyway, very similar kind of struggles in the very beginning, right? Language barriers, didn't really know what was going on. Like, you know, when I went to grade school, it was like my family went to grade school for the first time because they didn't know what to expect here. So everything was like kind of a, a much higher learning curve, getting through college, all that stuff was like a first first round for us here. But, you know, we lived the American dream. My dad was also a small business owner. I'm also a small business owner. And, you know, the legacy can will continue, hopefully. Definitely. And it's such a familiar story for all of us. I mean, I'm in that same boat. And I love how you put it that, you know, it kind of was a first round for all of us, right? So, you know, it's it's, it's my first time going through school here. But it, yeah, you're right. It's my parents' first time kind of going through that, that mm-hmm. part of the system as well. So turning focus back to CNPP, how did you get involved with this program? Well, I was lucky enough to be on the board for the Southeast chapter of the U.S. Pan-Asian Chamber of Commerce since I think this has been like about six years. And I've also been the president of the Southeast chapter for the last, I guess, two and a half years. And so that's how we were introduced to the program. Ms. Susan Allen from the national office was very excited about the application and we all worked hard to get that application done. And, you know, we were awarded with the CNPP project, you know, that we were, the the national chapter was given funds to use, to utilize in things that they've been doing for years. So it was, it was really heartwarming to see that our efforts had gone on well and you know that SBA was giving us an opportunity to further our initiatives on what we've already been doing to help small businesses. So it kind of fell in line with what we were doing and the Southeast chapter was excited to be a part of it. And then my firm also got the opportunity to be a spoke as well and assist kind of in a niche area of just giving legal advice to small business owners. 
especially to those who kind of feel like they don't have access to the legal system or maybe daunting or too expensive, you know, or just something that they don't want to touch because they're just afraid and they don't understand it. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say we've been trying to help a lot of small business owners just kind of come over that hurdle to say, hey, you know, there are legal services available to you. You don't have to be in the dark when you buy a business or trying to run your business ethically and legally. There's lots of help that you can get to make sure you're successful. Wow, you are such a tremendous asset then to this <laughs> to this program, and, and you know you can you hit it on the head there. You know, and serving the underserved communities, you know, the legal side of things is always going to be one of those that kind of creates the deer in the headlights sort of feel mm-hmm. for them. I mean, even myself being born and raised here, I still see legal questions come up and I have no idea how to go about that. And, you know, what more so if you're disadvantaged in the sense where you don't speak the language or, you know, it's not your first language. So again, that's really, really awesome that you're here to do this. Regarding your line of work, then what are some of the common mistakes that, you know, first time or small business owners make when it comes to contracts? Well, contracts is a kind of a broad category. There's lots and lots of different types of contracts, but you know, some some basic contracts are like signing a lease. You know, you're opening up, let's say, a restaurant or a hardware store or something, and you've got to sign a lease. And so that's probably the first point of entry, you know, into the legal world. So leases, I see issues in sometimes just B two B contracts, like business to business. You're trying to buy some supplies from somebody, or somebody's agreed to, you know sell some of your stuff or whatever, you know, purchase and sale of products and services, those kind of deals, sometimes in construction, you know, you've asked a contractor to complete your build out for your, for your space and something, you know, goes, but I think, believe it or not, more often than not, the problem is that there is no contract. (laughs) It's usually this verbal exchange of something. Nothing is documented. Everybody has a really good feeling going in and then halfway through, nobody knows what they were supposed to be doing. And then the fight start. So a lot of times, and especially I think in Asian cultures, there's a sense of trust. And so, you know, a lot of times, oh, he's my neighbor, my friend, or somebody I just have a good feeling about. Well, I take their word for it. And maybe a hundred years ago, that was a good way to do business. But in this day and age, it's just, it's just hard to, I guess, have any shame when, when something doesn't go right. Maybe both parties don't feel that way. And, and maybe in our, back at home or, or whatever, what we're used to is that, you know, you could shame somebody into doing the right thing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe that's not true anymore. And so I feel like there's a learning curve in our communities, especially to say that, okay, even though I'm doing business with my brother or my best friend or my cousin yes. or my neighbor, maybe it's just a good idea to write it down. And it's not meant to be offensive to the other party to have to write something down, but maybe more of, Let's preserve our relationship. And so let's write it down. So I feel like that's kind of the biggest hurdle in our community to get people to understand that writing something down is not necessarily a bad thing. Yes. And, you know, and then, you know, going back to that Asian, you know, culture and with my own family, I mean, I I run my business differently than my parents ran their business, Mm -hmm. but I was witness to you know, just the handshakes. Oh, I'm doing business with our cousin. I'm doing, and mostly, I guess, within that, it's the family, the family connections that kind of drive that, you know, maybe embarrassment or shame. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, <laughs> let's, let's operate on a verbal and then we can come back and shame you. Right. But yeah. no, you're, I mean, you're right. It's just, you know, I laugh when I hear that because I've, yeah, it's like I personally witnessed that. Happen with it. I, I've seen eyes. it happen too. Yeah. Yeah. Even with my parents, <laughs> I mean, business dealings were, 
you know, a friend of a friend. What's the big deal? What could go wrong? You know, (laughs) exactly. and and it's all good until it isn't. And that's the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like 90% of time things work out great. You know, everybody's happy. Things are moving along, but it's that few percentages that, that leave a bad taste then, you know, for all your future endeavors. So, you know, I guess the first thing is get into a contract. But some of the places I think your question earlier was some of the places where people kind of go awry are people don't realize that you can negotiate contracts, right? So just because a landlord gives you a lease or a vendor gives you a contract doesn't mean you have to accept it at face value. It takes two to make this deal happen. And just as much as you want to get into this contract, so does the other party. So this is your chance. Negotiate. You know, once you sign it, I mean, there's nothing I can do to help you. But if before you sign it, you have an attorney review it or somebody who can help you navigate, renew, review it, there are some things you could give and take on and, and come up with a better deal for yourself and you know maybe for the other party as well, but have a good meeting of the minds on it as to what is expected and mm-hmm. what, what you know, you're expecting. Mm-hmm. So I have a follow-up question here. And now I realize that we're kind of talking about two different flavors of contracts. Like in this conversation, we're talking about the real, you know, real estate leasing contract versus mm-hmm. maybe an operating contract. So I can let, I'll let you oh, uh, answer this sure. the way you feel comfortable. Yeah. But the, the, the follow-up question is, is like, what, so what are some of the common clauses that, you know, you would expect in a contract or that, you know, that us, you know, as a first time or a small business owner, what are we looking for as, as far as common clauses? I guess it depends. So you touched on something interesting. So what I was talking about is like a contract between your business and an outside party. But there's also something to be to be thought of within the company itself. And that's what you were talking about as far as like an operating agreement or a shareholder agreement, something like that. So let's say you have three or four people involved in the same business. You would want a contract to kind of understand everybody's responsibilities within the business as well. Or for example, if somebody wants to leave or God forbid something happens to somebody, what happens to their share? And those questions are very difficult to answer after the fact. So if everybody's kind of talked about it and and touched up on what their intention is, and you can put that in writing, then when that event happens, it's so much easier to navigate because everybody knows what to expect. So I guess, you know, kind of generally speaking, some of the clauses to look for are exit clauses. You know, how do you get out of a contract? Uh, or, Or what happens if one party doesn't perform? You know, we always talk about what we want in a contract, but seldom do we cover things like, well, what if one person doesn't do what they promised to do? What are my remedies? Can I make you do it? Is there some amount of money that will help me get through your breach? You know, where can I bring this action? Like if I have to file a lawsuit, where do I bring it? What if they're in two different states, you know, these parties? So lots of things like that as far as venue and and then things like, well, if, if I have to file a lawsuit, do I get to collect my attorney's fees and my expenses because I had to now chase you to do what you were supposed to do to begin with? So these are all like ancillary questions that, that derive out of out of breach and you know, not performing according to what, what you said you were going to do. Gosh, yeah. So I guess that was a loaded question. A lot to yeah, unpack Yeah, I, I can talk about hours there. on this, hours and hours <laughs> on these things, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that just alludes to the fact that, you know, this, the legal side of business is very difficult. You know, it's, it's very complex. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Mm-hmm. And then again, you have the legal ease, which, you know, normal people don't speak. And then, yeah, you add on top of the fact that you have the disadvantage of not being in the, that's your primary language. And now you're trying to do all of this and understand it. And yeah, it's, it's tiring just to even 
think about it. <laughs> just posing it here it's tiring so last question on this contracts part then i mean are there any sort of advice you can give as far as like red flags or warning signs that kind of look for then if i'm looking at this and i go okay well this doesn't look right what's going to give me that feeling if if you notice in a contract that everything is for the benefit of one party but there's nothing on the benefit of the other party that's kind of a red flag right like or if somebody can just terminate without any recourse like let's say you're a supplier of goods and you want to sell to a third party and you're custom making these things and you take orders and then you ship them or, or whatever. And, and there's a clause in there where that party can terminate at any time for any reason. Well, that's kind of a not a good situation. What if they try to terminate after you've shipped something? Or what if they terminate after you created and bought supplies and stuff for their their personalized product? Then what? You know, so so things where somebody can just it's one sided where like one person has a benefit, but that same benefit isn't given to the other side, those are things that I would look out for. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, that kind of leads to the point of some, you know, fairness, right? So we're talking right. about fair and maybe reasonable sure. requests within, you know, how you do business. So I guess how can one ensure that the contract is fair and reasonable then? And what factors should someone consider when doing that negotiation and, and teasing that out? Well, first I would say, I mean, because a lot of times, I mean, even even for me, sometimes I'll have to read a paragraph three or four times to understand it because <laughs> legalese is written that way, that it's it's almost like they try to fit in as many different variations of something into one sentence and it turns into a paragraph, you know? So it's, <laughs> they want to kind of cover every single different angle in one sentence. And so that's why it just becomes convoluted. But I would say that given the amount of time and energy you put in and money you put into a business... I think it is reasonable to think that you should probably spend a little bit of money and get an attorney to help you, somebody who is on your side, you know, to protect your investment. Because at the end of the day, if you spend, you know, $200,000 on opening up your business and, and doing all this stuff, a thousand bucks spent towards an attorney to review a contract is money well spent. Because at the, you know, you're really protecting, it's like insurance, you know, you're kind of protecting what your investment is. And if you don't do that and you go into it blindly, then it's like almost like the fear of the unknown of what could come afterwards, you know, and not everything goes south, right? It's not, it's not like that, but there's lots of opportunities for things to go wrong, you know? And so the better equipped you are, you know, the better off you'll be. And there's no great way to explain kind of contracts unless you start getting into nitty gritty. Like we've been doing several webinars of things in different areas of the law because there's, it's so, there's so much information to, to give out in every area. Like, so for example, for leases, like we, we really went in depth on leases because it seems to be something that a lot of people can relate to as far as leasing a space of any sort, a commercial space. And so there's lots of, you know, we kind of broke it down as far as the term termination clauses, you know, do you have to have a guarantee? Things like escalation and rent, you know, what are the things that you can kind of cover yourself on or what things can you try to negotiate? And I think maybe the first thing to do when you look at a contract is to figure out what items are the most important to you, you know, kind of itemize in your own head first, like what must I have in this contract? And, and, Put the contract aside, but just kind of write for yourself. Like, what do I have to have in this deal? You know, is it a price? Is it a term? Is it, you know, A, B, C, D? And then go to the contract and see if it meets at least those requirements, right? So make sure that what you want is in there. But then also then you have to do the second half to make sure there's nothing in there that hurts you. And so when working with a lawyer, and this is you know kind of shooting off what you just said, would you be able to help us like as a business owner, would you help 
me identify what am I not seeing? Because, you know, there's that that realm of things that I don't know what I, exactly I should be looking yeah. for. Yeah. So a lot of times we do consulting and, and I've noticed this a lot in during the CNPP program is we're meeting a lot of people who are brand new business owners. And so usually my consultation is not about something specific because it's almost as if they don't really know where to start. And that's that's common because if you're good at selling X, that's where your energy is focused, right? But unfortunately, when you run a business, you got to worry about all the other things around it too. And so we usually try to consult with them and try to help them figure out a system in which they can get all these things moving and still focus on what they're doing well. Like for example, get a good accountant because you have to pay taxes, whether you like it or not, you're going to pay sales tax. You're probably going to have to pay some kind of employment tax to the department of revenue, department of labor, then you've got the IRS. There's all sorts of like little operational things that you got to be a part of, whether or not you want to be a part of it, you got to be a part of it. <laughs> and so if you have a good accountant, maybe they can advise you on that bubble. You know, then you've got things like, you know, employment stuff, you know, like how should I pay my employees? You know, those are questions. So when we get into it, I always like to ask people like, what, what is your expected revenue for the year? How many employees do you think you're going to have? Do you have a space in which you're going to work out of? And how are you going to get that space? You know, do you have insurance? So these are all things that kind of set up the framework of a, of a business. And if they don't have these things, then we try to help them navigate and at least get their foothold strong so that they can take off and do what they do best. So yes. that's so like so you said, I'm, that's kind of where we identify issues, right? Like where things are are maybe not so strong, like like your lease agreement, or maybe you've you set up an entity but you have no agreement between your partners. So that's something that you can work on. You know, so we try to identify mm -hmm. little things that we can help them with or or others can help them with. Yeah. And so I'm definitely seeing really like it's 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 a structure to you know, kind of unemotionally create protection around the entities and, you mm -hmm. know, give guidance to, you know, it becomes exactly, you know, that, that, that agreement that, okay, this is how we're going to proceed in these sort of instances. And I definitely see the value in that. This concludes the first part of episode eight of Navigating Business, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration. Tune in next week as we continue our conversation with Chatel Desai, the president of the Southeast chapter of the U.S. PAC, an attorney and managing partner at the Trusted Lawyers. Also, check out our 2023 celebration, America's largest and longest-running business development conference convened by Pan-Asian Americans from June 6th to June 8th. Please visit our website at celebrationconference.com.